If you've been with, joining us uh, first time, welcome. Uh, we are in the book of Colossians this morning. We, uh, for those of you who were here last week, you know why we're here. Uh, we're in Exodus, really, uh, but <laughs> we were somehow got to Colossians. So um, if you were here last week, uh, we talked about uh, this, uh, this, this thing called circumcision uh, that, we, that is found in the book of uh, Exodus in, in chapter 12. Now, uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing again. We took up last, uh, we used last week's sermon for that review. If you want to know more about uh, Exodus 12, go watch the sermons on YouTube. Uh, oh, you're here. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I'm just seeing people like I, I only see on Facebook and then all of a sudden they're here. Uh, <laughs> so it's nice to see. Um, so we're going to talk about circumcision again. Okay, this is like the fourth uh, message on this. Um, before we, um, when we first dove in, it was in the story, within the story of the Exodus. It was the prerequisite to be able to be part of or become a part of the covenant of Israel and therefore be able to take on the Passover meal. That's where we started. Um, but last week, I left you with this question. Um, and again, I don't need, I, I hope I don't need to explain to you what, the covenant of circumcision is all that stuff. I hope you remember everything. Uh, and I left you with this question last week. Uh, were Abraham and his descendants faithful to keep the faith and therefore do their part in the covenant of circumcision? If you remember, the covenant of circumcision is a bilateral covenant. There's a part that Abraham has to fulfill and then there's a part that God has to fulfill. Um, and Abraham's part, um, as far as the curses of the covenant is concerned, is that if he doesn't fulfill his part in keeping the faith and in, in, in passing it off to the next generation, they get cut off. That's what circumcision is. That's the, the whole essence of circumcision, the cutting off. Um, so uh, was or were Abraham and his descendants faithful to keep the faith and therefore do their part in the covenant of circumcision? I said last week that the short answer would be a no. They weren't able to. Some of them even died because they didn't believe in the wilderness, right? So um, I, I said last week as well, if that's the case, if they weren't able to keep their part of the covenant of circumcision, how is it that God has not cut off the Israelites from himself? How is it that God kept walking with them, protecting them, providing for them through the whole time, uh, through the exodus and even now? How is it that God never um, cut them off? That was part of the covenant. Um, our answer lies in Paul's letter to the Colossians. That's, that's where we ended up last week. So now before we get into the text in Colossians 2, let me clarify some things regarding Abraham's descendants. Um, and this is for us to have a clear understanding as to who is included in this covenant of circumcision to begin with. Um, so let's go to Romans. Uh, so we're going to be all over the Bible today. Uh, Romans 9, 6 to 8 says there, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descendants, uh, descended from Israel belong to Israel. Eight. Uh, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of Israel, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So um, when we talk about uh, the descendants of Abraham, uh, physically it is the Israelites. Or you can also say the descendants of Ishmael because Ishmael is also Abraham's son. But 
But in the flesh, that's what it is. Um, and, and today, uh, well, I'm hoping to one day preach on Romans, but for now, we're going to use that, Romans 9, to see who's included in the covenant of circumcision, right? So according to the Apostle Paul, uh, those uh, children of Abraham are only those who are the children of promise. They're the only ones counted as offspring or descendants of Abraham. In another place in the Bible, in Galatians, uh, Paul says this again, uh, Galatians 4, uh, 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise, 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one has a husband. 28. Now you brothers... Like Isaac, children of promise. 29, but just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So again, in that context, Paul is also talking about um, how the Christians, you who are like Isaac, are children of promise. So the whole point of those two passages that we just read in Romans and Galatians is that a person's spiritual salvation, our salvation spiritually, is not dependent on, first of all, nationality, nor is it dependent on the works of the flesh. That's why Paul used Abraham as an example or as an illustration. Uh, Abraham is known as the father of the nation of Israel, and Paul said in Galatians that the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. What does that mean? The son of Hagar was born according to the will and work of Abraham. And we can say his wife because his wife was the one who gave Hagar to Abraham. Just like Eve gave the apple to... It's always the wife that's messing things up. I love my wife. She's not here, so I can say that. She's upstairs. So it's good. I can say it. It's always the wife causing the problems. <laughs> Abraham, right? Abraham, I think Abraham would have waited for the children of promise, but, you know, wife couldn't wait. Uh, so that's, that's what it means by, by Paul that when he said that the son of the slave was born in the flesh, but the son of the free woman, the Sarah, was born through promise. And this is a direct reference, again, to what happened to Abraham and Sarah, right? They asked God to provide a son. Ninety years later, a hundred years later, no son. Um, and they became impatient, right? Uh, and Abraham and Sarah decided to do something about their child's situation. Uh, wh why did they do that to begin with? Because God promised Abraham, I will give you child, children, as many as the stars, they're reaching 100. Imagine. Who, who's close to 100 here? 88, 80, 80, 80, 80. How old are you now? 88. Okay. <laughs> Too old. 
Imagine you're a hundred and then God promised you, I will give you as much children and you don't even have one. And your wife is like, come on, where is it? Let's, let's, let's get this going. But we're both barren and we're, she's in her 90s. How is this going to happen? So they decided to just do something about it. Oh, there's Hagar, Egyptian slave. Let's use her. Instead of trusting God, waiting on God, they took matters into their own hands. Um, and they had a child, right? They had a child. Um, and then when the child was born to Hagar, uh, or, yeah, God once again received, uh, repeated the promise to give Abraham a child um, through Sarah in Genesis 17. But when God, when God said that again to Abraham, Abraham's like, hey, yeah, right. And he started laughing. Um, because at that point, they were 100 years old. So what did Abraham say to God? He negotiated with God, right? Genesis 17, 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's saying, why can't you just use the one, my son, my son anyway, through Hagar? Why can't you just use that? Couldn't, that, couldn't Ishmael be the child of promise? If you read your Bibles after that verse, after Abraham negotiated with God, so to speak, to use Ishmael to... to Right? To use Ishmael as the child of promise. God said no. No. And once again, repeated his promise to give Abraham a son through his wife, Sarah. No matter how old she was. Right? If you read the latter part of Genesis 17, um, came the covenant of circumcision. Um, so, who are the children of promise Paul is saying that the children of promise are the ones who came after the child that was promised to Abraham and Sarah, after Isaac, after Isaac, and Jacob, after Jacob, 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the nation of Israel. Those are the ones who are children of promise, but they're not, so to speak, the ones. The actual children of promise that Paul is referring to and referencing in Galatians 4 and Romans 9 was people who were born by the will and work of God. That's what he meant when he used Abraham as an example and his child that was promised to him who is Isaac. Isaac was born not through the works of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, but through the will and work of God alone. That's what Paul's point is in Galatians 4 and 9, that not all Israelites are part of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel that God covenanted with are those who would keep on believing in him. Those are the children of promise, those who are born through the will and work of God, not through the will and work of man. That's why, again, Galatians 4, 20, 29, Paul says that Christians are like Isaac, children of promise, born according to the Spirit, not the flesh. So in Colossians 2, let's go back to our text, when Paul used the covenant of circumcision, he's not talking about circumcision that is done on the flesh. You follow the train of thought? Right? 
He's been talking about children of promise, the ones who are not born of the flesh, but born of the will of and work of God. Therefore, in Colossians 2, when he talks about circumcision, he's not talking about circumcision done on the flesh, which by the, in the time of Abraham served as a mark or the stamp for the members of the nation of Israel. But, but what Paul is implying is that through the use of the analogy of circumcision, right, he's talking about circumcision not done in the flesh. Right? Um, so when Paul references uh, circumcision in Colossians 2, uh, yes, he's referring to the Old Testament covenant of circumcision. Uh, but Paul is saying that the covenant of circumcision actually points to something higher, something greater. Not just as a flesh mark, but something greater, greater spiritual truth. Now, as far as stipulations go, if you remember this part of the covenant of circumcision, stipulations, as far as covenant making back in those days, have uh, blessings and curses, right? Uh, and in the covenant of circumcision, the blessing is to God, for God to be faithful to Abraham, uh, what he promised to Abraham, to give him children, make him a blessing to nations and uh, give him a land to possess. The curse in the covenant of circumcision was to be cut off from God if you break covenant. Now, my question last week as well was that, does that, the stipulations of the covenant of circumcision, does it carry over to Paul's idea of circumcision in Colossians 2? Does it carry over? And again, remember, Covenant of circumcision is bilateral. God has to fulfill his part. Abraham and his descendants have to fulfill their part. The blessings part is, of the covenant is dependent on God. The curse part of the covenant is something that is placed on Abraham and his descendants if they don't keep their part of the covenant. So, cutting off again is, symbolizes death. Cutting, being cut off from the source of life, right? So if, if we keep that in mind, um, our question again, does this understanding of the covenant of circumcision carry over in Colossians 2? Let's find out. Let's start with verses 6 and 7, Colossians 2, and you guys read it. I don't have water. You guys read it. Okay, so first let's focus on the covenant. I'll get back to that. Let's focus on the context in which Paul is using circumcision here. In Colossians 2, Paul is using circumcision to prove a point, okay? And that point is found in, was found in the verses that we just read. So this whole argument uh, of being circumcised is an encouragement and a reminder to the Christians at Colossae to walk or live in a manner that is similar to how they received Christ, Walk or live in a manner to how they received Christ in verse 6. This argument is within the whole context of this letter to the Christians or to the Colossians that Christians should always be striving to mature spiritually. Sound familiar? Why do you think we keep pushing that? We keep teaching that at church. Because that is our whole goal, to keep on maturing spiritually as believers or as Paul put it, to walk worthy of the Lord in, ver in Colossians 1 verse 10a. 
or to be complete in Christ in uh, Colossians 1 verse 28. Right? And then in the verse 7, Paul tells us what it means to walk in the manner as how we, or in the case of the Christians in Colossae, how we received Christ. How are we to walk in that manner? Paul says, be established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul's saying uh, to Christians and to both here and in Colossae, he's saying to us that Christians who have received Christ by faith should walk or live in faith. Walk in faith, live in faith and gratitude. That's what Paul is saying. And then Paul tells us, and the Christians in Colossae, what needs to be done to do this. What, what do we need? What does it mean to walk in faith? Now, as far as the context of the Colossians, look how Paul puts it. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. How, how are Christians supposed to walk in faith in that context? Uh, to Christians, for Christians to walk in faith is to keep watch or be on guard from the teachings of the flesh or anything that is not according to Christ or teachings that contradict the true teaching that they have received by faith. That's how we are supposed to walk in faith. And notice the word that Paul used here in the beginning of the verse. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive. What does that mean? You're a captive of someone. You're the prisoner. You're captured, right? It means that Paul is saying, make sure that you are not enslaved. That's another word for, for that. Make sure that you are not enslaved by any of these teachings that contradict the teaching of Christ. Now in the context again of Colossae, and I keep saying this because that's, that's how you should interpret in the context so you don't get out of what the author is trying to say. Right? Now in the context of the church in Colossae, what, what are these things? Uh, if you don't know, back, background in Colossians, there's, they are surrounded, the Christians in Colossae are surrounded by just pagan not just pagans, they're also surrounded by the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers? Okay. So when Paul's saying, don't be captive to these teachings, what are these teachings? Uh, as far as the paganism uh, part goes, it includes mysticism, paganism, uh, uh, some even say witchcraft. And according to some scholars, again, um, the teachings that Paul is warning the Colossians about um, might come also from the Judaizers. What's the teaching of the Judaizers? You need to be, you need to observe Jewish rituals and uh, you know, Jewish traditions in order to be saved. You're not just saved by faith alone. You need to be circumcised. Uh, remember this? Paul addressed this in Galatians as well, remember? Right? So that's what Paul is warning them about. Don't be captive, don't be enslaved to these teachings anymore, right? You're, you've been saved. You're already in Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, right? You're already in Christ. Don't be captive with these teachings anymore. You are free from these teachings. You shouldn't be influenced 
by these teachings anymore. Um, and Paul gives them a reason for that encouragement. Uh, what's Paul's reason for telling these Christians, don't, don't be captive by these teachings anymore? What's the reason? Verse 9 and 10. Verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, or sorry, just, just, just 10. What's Paul's reason for telling the Christians to not place themselves under wrong teachings or not be enslaved under wrong teachings? The reason is because they are filled in him. Okay. Notice that again. They are filled in in him they are not filled with him okay that's very important who is the him the one who is the head of all authority the one who's the fullness of deity dwells so what is paul saying here paul saying is that christians you're no longer under the authority of these false teachers you don't have to listen to them anymore you're no longer under authority of false teachings. Right? You are not under the authority and lordship of Christ, whom all authority is given. Right? And then look at, uh, again, uh, in verse 10. You Christians, the reason why you're, you shouldn't be influenced, or you shouldn't be influenced by these anymore, you shouldn't be captive by these things anymore, is because you have been filled in. You have been filled in Christ. What does that mean? Well, the in word there uh, literally means to be inside of something or to be within something. Not just a part of, inside of. Okay. Uh, same word is used in the New Testament passage, in some New Testament passages, to describe a child being in the womb. So when the child is in the womb, well, why is the child there? Why can't the child be outside of the womb? Because it'll die. It needs the womb to be protected. It needs the womb to grow. Right? That's what it means to literally be filled in Christ, to be put inside of Christ. Um, if, if you remember our... Uh, theme or Christmas theme, uh, Advent theme, typology. What I say is a, is a type of Christ. We, we talked about types of Christ, right? What's another type of Christ other than um, Adam and who else did we talk about? David and Melchizedek and Jonah. What's another type of Christ in the Old Testament? Uh, you know Noah, Noah, his story? The ark is the type of Christ. Why is the ark a type of Christ? Because saved right how were they saved outside the ark hanging on to the ark inside the ark type of christ inside in him uh when we talk about god being a refuge what is a refuge in the old testament this is fortress right building secure people in it can't get hurt that's why you go in there as a refuge because that's where you're safe. 
That's what Paul is saying to, the, to these Colossians. You're safe now. You don't have to be enslaved by these things anymore. You're safe because you are already in, in Christ. You have been placed inside of Christ. That's the first reason Paul gives, gives them, to give them hope, to give them encouragement, right? Uh, verse 11 is the second one. What's verse 11 say? In him you were circumcised. Circumcision made by hand, without hands, by putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So not only are you in Christ, Paul says, you've been circumcised. <laughs> and this is where Paul uses this idea of circumcision. Um, now the use of this idea of circumcision bears some similarity to the use of circumcision in Exodus but for different purposes. Um, so when God and Abraham made the covenant of circumcision, God used circumcision as the mark of the covenant and also as symbolism for the curse of breaking the covenant. Uh, now these applications still apply as far as the understanding of the covenant of circumcision is concerned, but Paul uses the idea of circumcision itself in a different way in Colossians 2. Now, in order for us to reconcile the purpose of circumcision in Exodus and then the purpose of Paul in circumcision in the Colossians, we need to focus on the main essence of what the act of circumcision represents. And that is separation, cutting off. Right? Same thing that we did with the, the, the leaven, right? We didn't use the leaven as far as context goes, but we use what is the essence of leaven that they're able to use it uh, as a, a, a symbolism for sin and a symbolism for faith. What is it? It grows fast. Circumcision. What is it that circumcision is used as a curse in Exodus? And then in Colossians is something else. What is it about circumcision? The being cut off. Now you know, I think you know where I'm going with this, right? Being in Christ is to be circumcised. Okay, well, let's, 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 let's keep going. Um, so the essence of the idea of circumcision is to be cut off. Uh, and again, application can differ. Uh, in Colossians 2.11, Paul says that the reason why Christians should not be taken captive to false teachings and false teachers is because they have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, not fleshly, Right? implying that the cutting off that Paul is referring to here is of the spirit. Or we can say of the heart, right? So if circumcision is a cutting off, if it's a separation, what is the Christians in Colossae being separated from? Check it out again, 2.11. Second half of verse 11 says, they are circumcised by a circumcision made without hands uh, by how? Putting off the body of flesh. Or literally, if you were to look at the Greek of that, literally the removal of the body of flesh. They're being cut off from the body of flesh. Again, you can't take that literally. Obviously, they'd all be dead. <laughs> right? So what does that mean? Throughout the New Testament, again, the reference to the flesh is mostly a pointer to man's sinful nature, sinful deeds. In Romans 8 talks about having the mind of the flesh. 
Right? Romans 8, 7, the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Right? Uh, Galatians talks about the works of the flesh. And then it lists out all these evil works like sexual immorality, sensuality, idolatry, all that stuff. And then by the end of that verse in Galatians, it says, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we talk about flesh, when we talk about the cutting off of being cut off from the flesh, that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the sinful nature of man. When I say sinful nature, I mean our tendencies towards sin. Not the acts of sin itself. Okay, we got to get that right. Paul's not saying you've been cut off from the flesh. That means you're not going to sin anymore. No. You've been cut off from your sinful nature. Your tendency to sin has been cut off. It's been changed. It's been replaced by something else. That's, that's what Paul is saying, to be cut off, right? To be cut off, that sinful nature. That's why Paul is saying that a Christian ought to walk in a manner that shows that he or she has been separated from that nature because they are in Christ, right? Or, to say it another way, those who are in Christ have died from that sinful nature, and now alive in Christ. That's why there's also a use of baptism uh, in verse 11 as a parallel to circumcision. I'm not going to talk about baptism right now, obviously. That's not our point. But the point of baptism is that you have died with Christ, raised together with Christ. That's why people get baptized, so that they can identify themselves. People will see them. You do this publicly, so that people will see that this is me. I am identifying with Christ. Colossians 2.13. 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the what? Uncircumcision, not yet cut off of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all trespasses. So question now is this. If that's the, that's how God cuts off people or cuts off believers from that sinful nature so that in the context again of Colossians, so that they don't be enslaved again or become enslaved again by the elemental teachings and fleshly teachings. How does God do that? How does God do the cutting off? How does God put people in Christ so that they be cut off from all these bad influences outside? Verse 14. How? By? Millions of the cross. Okay. And I, th I believe that this is the verse that kind of tells me that why, why did Paul use circumcision to begin with? I think this is it. Legal talk, right? There's legal talk here. When we talk about covenants, we're talking about legal agreements. And I think this is why Paul used circumcision to begin with. Um, what does that mean? Well, it brings us back again to the covenant of circumcision and why 
I think, I believe that Paul used this idea to make the point. So basically, what verse 14 is saying is that since God and Abraham made a covenant, covenant of circumcision, both parties are liable. Right? Liable to what? The curse or the penalty involved in breaking the covenant. Now for both parties, what's the penalty for breaking covenant? Death. If you listen to the sermons, especially the, the last, yeah, last week's, even God put himself in that category, right? If I don't come through, may I die. May what happened to these animals happen to me. And Abraham, in the, in the covenant of circumcision, that's what he's saying too. May I be cut off from the source of life. So in, in both parties' case, it was death. Death is the penalty for breaking covenant, Death is the penalty for breaking covenant. And so, obviously, God is immortal. <laughs> said this last week. He can't die. So, what does that mean? In, last week I said it. Last week I said that if God can't die, that means he can't break covenant. He can't. He just can't do it. Even if he tried to break covenant, he can't. That's how faithful God is. That's why that song earlier, he won't, he won't, he won't. That should be he can't. Because won't says, I can do it, I just don't want to. But can't says, I can't do it. <laughs> so when God says, I'll be faithful to you, I'll give you kids, I'll give you land to possess, he can't break that. Right? So obviously he's going to keep his part of the covenant. Problem is, Abraham. If God can't break covenant, Abraham can't, can, can't not, not break covenant. <laughs> he's going to break it. it. Because he's human, right? All the descendants are human after him. He's going to break it, right? So if that's the case, legally... You broke, you die. Right? And it's not just a, he didn't just break it one time. Him and his kids broke it and kept breaking it. All of us are like that, right? Some of you breaking it right now. I promised myself I would go on diet January 1st. I promise I wouldn't sleep in church anymore. I promise. Breaking covenant right here. You should be struck there. Abraham can't keep covenant. Right? There is a legality to this. When you break covenant, you die. But God, in verse 11, or sorry, verse... 14, what did it say in verse 14 again? Let's read that again. There. <coughs> he just cancels it? That's it? There's nothing. He just cancels it. 
that stood aside, or the canceling record that stood against us with its legal demands, legal breaking covenant. This he nailed, set aside, nailed to the cross. What is the, what, when you get nailed to the cross, what happens to, to you? You die. So that's saying that your debt died <laughs> on the cross when he nailed it to the cross, right? Um, but it, that can't be. Like somebody always has to pay, right? Like when your mortgage, just like I said this last week, if you don't pay your mortgage, who pays? And they give you a grace period. You pay still, right? They charge you extra interest. Uh, people who got, uh, during COVID time, people got uh, free money. Uh, what do you call it? SERB. Thankful for that. My son got SERB. Thanks, SERB. Is that really free money? Who paid for that? Everybody else. <laughs> uh, we're talking about this. Uh, the refugees that come to Canada, they get all these, right? They get hotels and you have to pick what they want to eat and where they want to live. Free? No. Somebody paid for that. You do. That's why some people get rid of those refugees. Because we're paying for that. Somebody has to pay. It can't be just that, just canceled and that's it. Think about it. Well, what else was nailed to the cross? Something else, not just your debt. Someone else. Right? So if you look at verse 11 again. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That circumcision, the cutting off, is being cut off from the body. Okay? From the body of flesh. How were you cut off from the body of flesh? By circumcision of Christ. I believe that this means that cutting off of Christ. Or the death or separation of Christ. You watch the video, right? There's three views on this. I believe that this, the circumcision of Christ, talks about Christ being cut off, uh, dying in that sense, separated from God and man because of sin. Now, let me say this as well. Christ didn't become a sinner when he took on our sins. It's not like we gave him all our sins. Now he's the sinner. That means he deserves to die. No. I'll get to that later on. But that's what happened. Okay? Christ, for, for us to be cut off from the flesh, Christ have to be circumcised. Therefore, those who are in him are cut off from the I was going to bring some M&Ms to show you this. Right? I was going to put it in a little jar. To show that the M&Ms, when you put that in a jar, it's cut off from everything. You if that jar is sealed, you can throw it in the water. M&Ms won't get wet. Throw it into a, into a, into a, a, a what do you call that thing that uh, gathers all our, when you flush your toilet? Into the sewer. Throw it in the sewer. You can pick it up and still eat the M&Ms inside. Because it's been cut off. Right? It's not being affected by all this gunk anymore. No, it's all inside there. But for that to happen, Christ must be thrown into the sewer. Christ must be thrown into the fire. Christ must be nailed to the cross. Otherwise, debt's not paid. 
This is legal. It has to be. So when Christ was cut off, the legality of this act is because Abraham and his descendants, mainly us, who says we're going to believe, we keep breaking the covenant. Therefore, legally, um, the penalty has to be paid. And this is where it gets interesting and mind-blowing for me. If you think about it, um, if God doesn't make a way for Abraham and his descendants to keep their part of the covenant, if God doesn't make a way, then that means God would break his covenant. You following? If God doesn't make a way for Abraham to keep covenant, and therefore, if God says, okay, that's it, you're cut off, how is he going to keep his part of the covenant? You think about that? Because God said, no, I will, I will make you father of many nations. I'll give you land to possess. If he cuts them off, how is he going to give him that? For me, that's like... And the fact that God can't break covenant, that means he had to do something so that he could continue to bless these people. I, I don't know about you, but that when I was studying them, like, yeah, it's rock solid. That's why God is the foundation. That's why he's the rock. That's why he's the fortress. It's solid. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't use any logic to say, no, God should have. But if he, if he cut off Abraham, it will break his part of the covenant. I mean, he can't. So what, did, what does he do? And the only way for God to be faithful to his part is to help Abraham and his descendants. How does God do that? Well, somebody from Abraham's descendants must be able to keep covenant. Who? Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Can you guys read this? <sighs> One of his sons will do it. Was it Isaac? No. Jacob? No. Judah? David? Jesus. How does Jesus accomplish this? How does Jesus accomplish what Abraham could not? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake There it is again. In Him. So Jesus and this is again for me mind-blowing but Hopefully, it's mind-blowing for you. Jesus not only took on the curse of the covenant of circumcision. So, that covenant still applied. Because Jesus was the one who was cut off. For, not for him breaking covenant. Because Abraham broke covenant. He was cut off. And then he started this whole new covenant. Jesus started this whole new, that's why it's called New Testament, new covenant he started this whole new unilateral covenant. Remember covenant elements. What is it? There has to be a sovereign. There has to be a spectator, witness. There has to be stipulations. 
right? Jesus started a whole new one. He said, Jesus said, my life, my blood will cleanse all sin. I'll pay for the penalty, and those who believe in me will be put in me by faith, and therefore they will take on my righteousness. That's why we become God's righteousness in 2 Corinthians 2. Right? So Jesus started this whole new covenant in where he is the sovereign. He gave the stipulations. But I mean by stipulations, again, I mean blessings and curses. He gave blessing. What's the blessing of the new covenant? Reconciled to God and therefore be children of God and therefore have eternal life with God. That's, that's blessing, right? Curse of covenant, same thing, death. But he died it already. <laughs> that's the new covenant, right? He was the one who... Took on, gave the blessing, took on the curse, and therefore witnessed or ratified the covenant with its own blood. Sounds like the same one that God gave Abraham. And because of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, those who would come to believe in him, what, what happens when you believe in Christ? You impute your sin to Christ Christ imputes his righteousness to you. That's the exchange. That's why I should have brought my M&Ms. Because that's what it is. You're in there. Like, we're in there. Those of us who believe in Christ. Therefore, you shouldn't be enslaved to these things anymore. Like, temptation, every time temptation comes. What, what's temptation trying to do? Trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do, that you know you shouldn't do, but it's trying to get you to do that. When you do it, what are you doing? You're obeying it like a master. What did Paul say about that? You're not slaves to this anymore, right? You're now in Christ, protected, right? So that even if we fail, our failures, okay, in the circumcision covenant, one failure from Abraham would break it. And then he would have to pay for the penalty. In the new covenant, I'm not, I shouldn't say we're allowed to sin. <laughs> we're not. But we will. But even if you will, there's no more penalty to be paid. Because Christ paid it. Now I... <laughs> Romans 6, will, for some of you who are thinking, oh, no, that's good. That means I can go sin all I want now. No, Romans 6 says no. Right? Because in the covenant, the new covenant, Christ also circumcised you from the flesh. Remember? Colossians 2, right? So that means you're not. You're not obligated to say yes to temptation anymore. The way you were before. By nature, you're not that anymore. Right? We're new people, right? That's what Christ came to do in Colossians. That's what Christ came to do. He came to start a whole new race of people. And this new race would, would be patterned after him. That's why he said he was the firstborn in Romans 8. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Because he's starting this new 
race of people that will be patterned after him, not after, after Adam anymore, but those who would be born in spirit. That's us now. Paul's saying, that's you now, Colossians. Don't be enslaved anymore to this. We impute our sins onto Christ, nailing. Uh, that's what it says when, when it says in Colossians that our debts were nailed to the cross. Our debts died with Christ. And then we get imputed something else. We get imputed righteousness. Uh, when, when Christ imputes his righteousness on us, this means that we on our own are not righteous. Just like our sins did not make Christ a sinner, his righteousness did not make us righteous on our own. Right? Because we're in him. He is righteous. Those who in him are counted as righteous. But we, will we one day become righteous on our own? Yes. Once the flesh is actually gone. And that's when we, people don't want to go there. But that's when, we, people, that's when we die. A lot of people don't want to go there. But you'll be righteous. Right? And that's what happens to us. We've been separated, cut off from the body of the flesh. How? By the cutting off of Christ. Circumcision of in doing so, when, when Jesus did that, what did he do? Uh, ultimately, what did he do? He, uh, Colossians 2.15. Okay. Nothing? Nothing. I will just read it. 15. He disarmed. When he was cut off, okay, when Christ was cut off, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So when Christ took on our curse and he died in his death, he created the perfect weapon against peace. The illustration that comes to me is this. Uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. Have you seen the end game, the last Avengers movie? Okay. You remember the part where Thor has to go get the God Killer? He lost his hammer, right? He doesn't have his hammer. He has to get the God Killer. But the God Killer is in some world. He had to go visit the big dwarf. That's oxymoron. Uh, he had to go visit the big dwarf so that the big dwarf can make the God Killer. The problem was the son died. That's before he couldn't make the God Killer. You remember what I'm talking about, those of you? Okay, what did Thor have to do? He had to open up the, the thing for the sun's rays to, oh no, well, first of all, they had to make the thing spin so the sun will be lit back up. And then they had to open the thing up so that the sun's rays could get in. And then the dwarf told him, that will, that will kill you. But he opened it. <laughs> all the rays of the sun hitting Thor. But when, he, when, when that was happening to him, what was he doing? Was making this perfect weapon that could kill Thanos. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you see here? Or maybe it's just me. Christ did, Christ took on all that. While he was doing that, he was dying. This perfect weapon was being formed. What's the perfect weapon? The gospel. 
Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel is power of God unto salvation. But to get that, Christ must had to be circumcised. He had to open up the thing <laughs> and take on the heat and pain and all this so that the perfect weapon could be made. Now, he gives that weapon to all of us. Here you go. You have the perfect weapon. Go fight against temptation. Therefore, Paul says, don't be enslaved to these anymore. You can't Thanos me anymore. No more. I don't care if you come through this little, right? That's what Paul is telling the, the Colossians here. That the, that the circumcision of Christ gave us that. Not only that, if you're in Christ, you're safe, right? Uh, it's a different sermon because some people think, no, you're not. You can still run away. Yeah, well, uh, not unless you're sealed by the Holy Spirit because if you're sealed, you're, you're, you can't. <laughs> you can't open up the box of M&Ms anymore. It'll stay in the jar. So for Christ to be cut off, he also cut us off from a, a body of flesh. Therefore, Paul says, walk in Christ as you have received him by faith. Uh, and this is also what it means to have a circumcised heart. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. Two, three sermons back, I said that the only thing that can help Christians to change is for their wants to change. Remember I said that? Because we always want something that's not good for us. Chicharong bituka, beef, a lot of calories, a lot of rice. Bad for you. <laughs> right? For that to change, what you want must change. And you can't change it by willing yourself to not eat rice. Because after a few months, you'll be back and you'll be eating more rice than ever. How does that change? What's the control center of the human desires again? The heart. What the heart wants, the mind finds doable. Emotions find desirable. Desirable. Right? So that has to change. And the only way that that's going to change is if it's circumcised. Cut off. So, with a cut off heart, with a circumcised heart, being at the control center of a being, what does that being now uh, do? or what does, how, do, how does that being walk now? His heart find, will find Jesus desirable. His mind will find the works of Christ doable, no matter how impossible it is. And his will will find the, the mind of Christ knowable. Right? Uh, just one application. I wanted you guys to make your own application with that. But uh, ministry, we talked about earlier in Sunday school, that... Uh, Sometimes the poor will pretend to be rich. And then the rich will pretend to be poor. Why would the rich do that? Somebody said that uh, because they don't want to give. Yeah. A lot of us are like that. Bato bato sa langit. Right? Tamawag magagalit. I'm poor. Broke ako ngayon eh. O ba, pagpasa ng opening plate. Ang dami kong bayarin eh. Ang dami. 
Tapos sa Facebook, wala na yung pinapost. O, oh, bago bag, bago cellphone. Bag. The poor will pretend to be rich. The rich will pretend to be poor. What does that say? It means that what you set your mind to, what you set your heart on, you're going to go do it. You're going to go get it. Obviously, those people are pretending to do that so that they don't want to give, because they don't want to give offering. Their heart's set on a new LV bag, a new cell phone, and whatever. So how do you change that? You will yourself? You force yourself to give offering? No. What does God say about that? What does the Bible say about that? Yeah, cheerfully. Not begrudgingly. How are you going to give cheerfully? Heart has to change. We were, uh, we were faced uh, just, just, to, just today. We went to Tim Hortons. We were going to buy. My wife gave breakfast to, his Sunday school, to her Sunday school uh, students. So we went to Tim Hortons. There was a guy there with a walker, and the sign says, I, I have no home. I have no food. Uh, I live in a tent. And so we, I'm like, do we have any? First thing, yeah, do you have any spare change? <laughs> That's the first thing, right? Spare change. My wife's like, no, we don't. You only have $50 bill. So I'm like, okay, sorry. Next, next car will get you. And when we get to the ordering thing, me and my wife are like, <laughs> like, we're, like we're not going to go broke if you give. Okay. Now, so yeah, you shouldn't give him that much. You might use it on drugs. You might get drunk. <laughs> That's up to him. Right? Up to us. For us, it's hard to say no to that now. Before, I would have oh, easy. Right? I need this. I have a shoe to buy. I have. But Paul is saying, no, 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 you've been changed. You don't want that anymore. It's not you anymore. And so, therefore, don't be enslaved. Don't be enslaved to greediness. Don't be enslaved to wealth. Don't be enslaved to pride. It's not us anymore. Amen? So that's what it means to be circumcised. That's what it means to have a circumcised. I know it took four sermons, but I hope it was worth it. And I hope you benefited from it. Next week, we jump forward, uh, Exodus 13. So read up if you can. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you.